This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Hi, my name is Jessica Teamer. I'm the Outreach Coordinator and Community Educator for Pillars Domestic and Sexual Violence Services. Um, I'm here today because it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and so we're going to talk about uh, dating violence and stalking today. Um, So first of all, what is dating violence? Um, It's a pattern of coercive behavior that's used by a person against a dating partner to gain power and control over the other person. And it's really important to acknowledge that the dating violence is about power and control. A lot of times the way the media portrays it is that the person is out of control, um, and that's absolutely not true. All violence um, is about control. And the reason, a really easy way that we can look at that is when a police officer pulls someone over, do people start beating up the police officer? They don't, even though they're mad (laughs) that they're getting a ticket or they're getting in trouble for something, they don't. Um, If, you know, a waiter in a restaurant spills something on them, they might be frustrated about it, but they're probably not going to start beating them because they know that they'll get arrested. Um, They do it behind closed doors where they think that they can get away with it. so the dating violence can, be, can include any of the following. Physical violence, sexual abuse, emotional and psychological intimidation, verbal abuse and threats, stalking, isolation from friends and family, economic control, destruction of personal property, and animal cruelty. Um, so I'll go through those a little bit individually. Um, I think the physical violence and sexual abuse, those are kind of obviously what we think about when we think about violence in relationships. That's obvious. We can see that that's violent. Um, but it's a pattern, and usually those are towards the end of the cycle of the pattern. Um, it, if somebody walked up to someone, and when they first met them, they punched them in the eye, the person would go running the other way. You know, it's not, it's not that obvious. People think, how do you end up in this situation, or why would you stay? Um, abusers are very manipulative, and they're very good at what they do, and it's a system. So they don't reveal those behaviors to someone for a long time. So some of the early warning signs that you can look out for are emotional and psychological abuse, um, which happen really gradually. Um, One of the ways that they show up is quick involvement, where right away they want to be with you all the time and know where you are and what you're doing. Um, And that might feel like love, or it might make you feel special or like you're important. Um, But if a person is healthy and they have a whole life going on, they have school, or they have a job, they have friends, they have family, they're not going to be able to spend all their time with you. So a healthy partner is going to have other things going on. They're not going to want to be with you all the time because they have other things going on in their life. Um, The verbal abuse. Sure. Absolutely. At any point, feel free to jump in and ask questions. When you said like they want to be with you all the time Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, well, nowadays with the cell phones and texting and stuff like that, we're always communicating. What are some warning signs that your boyfriend or girlfriend is a little too crazy about you? That's a really good question. What are the red flags? Um, definitely, if they know that you're somewhere that you're, say that you're at work or you're at school. So there's clearly you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing and it's important to you. Or even you're out with your friends. They know that you had plans and they're constantly text messaging you or leaving you tons and tons of voicemails saying, why aren't you with me? You don't care about me. Um, it's, it's usually extremes. Um, dating violence tends to look like extremes. Healthy is all the gray that's in between. Um, when it's unhealthy, it's like either you really love me or you don't love me at all. 
Um, so if it's, you know, if you don't spend time with me right now, um, it's all about kind of their terms. If you won't do things on their terms. Um, why, why aren't you out with my friends tonight? Why, why are you spending time with your friends? You must not care about me. Um, why don't you return my call right away? Uh, one of the best ways that I've heard it described by one of the therapists or organization is that abusive relationships, it's like you and I are one and we're me. So the abuser can't really see outside of, you must just feel however I feel. Like, we're one person. I want us to be a mesh, to be together, be, you know, the same all the time. So however I feel, you must feel the same way, clearly. Um, so that's kind of the mentality. It's all about what they want and how they feel. Um, one of the things that we tell, um, you know, the women when we have a shelter is one of our services. And when they're thinking, has he changed, should I go back? Is it on his terms? Is he saying you need to come back right now? You know, does it need to be? So if it's, if it's always right now, if it's always the way that I say or the way that I want in order for things to be good, then that's a bad indication. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so some of the smaller, some of the other things early on are if they kind of give you put downs that might be kind of passive aggressive. It might sound like they're saying something nice, but they're not really nice. There's something kind of sharp on the edge of it. Um, definitely isolation. Um, this is one of their major tools because the more support that you have, the more that you're reminded who you are and how you feel about yourself, the more that people reflect back to you who you are and you remember who you are, it becomes harder for them to kind of manipulate and cut you off from that. So one of the main things that they want to do right away is act really jealous. If you have friends of the opposite sex, that's a problem. Clearly, you're interested in that person, according to the abuser. Um, even if you have friends of the same sex and you're not gay, it's, you must be gay. You must, you know, that's why you, you want to spend time with them instead of me. Everything is very extreme. Um, so anything that takes away from them, they're extremely jealous of. That's a big warning sign early in the beginning also. Um, and it can be really hard if it's a friend of yours. It might not be you. It might be somebody that you know. Abusers are really good at trying to cut you out. So one of the best things that you can do for your friends is to not let them, not let that abuser cut you out. It might be that they do take all of your friends' time for a while, and that can be really frustrating. Um, it might be that, you know, your friend is always kind of like, well, I have to see what so-and-so thinks before I make plans or before I, you know, commit to doing this with you. Um, but the more that you can just still be a part of their life and still support them and not just say you just have to leave this person, I think, and we'll get to that a little bit later, I think that's one of the main um, things that people think is, well, why don't you just leave them? You know, they think leaving is a solution. Um, leaving is a really complicated process for a lot of reasons, and we'll talk about that a little more. But the more that you can kind of let that person make decisions for themselves and let them know that you're still there for them no matter what they decide, the more that you're kind of helping them to maintain their power. Um, stalking is one of the things. Once again, that sometimes people think this is funny. I think the way that the media portrays it is like, oh, he's so, you know, he's so into her, or she's so into him, and it's almost like a joke. There's songs about it. There's a commercial now on TV where there's a girl, like, hiding in the closet. It's like a cell phone commercial, and it's supposed to be funny. Um, so I think we just have to be really careful because it's not funny. It actually could be really scary, and predominantly among young women um, your age is where we see the biggest kind of rates of stalking happening. So it's, it's something to definitely be aware of. Um, we have some information in the back about how to get some help with that. Um, definitely report it to the police right away. And one of the, the things that they suggest is keeping a stalking log, which is like every time that they call. You, you mentioned the text messages and the cell phone messages. To keep a record of those things, um, every time you see them, every time they show up where you are, 
um, the more that you can kind of keep a record of it, the better it's going to help you later on if you do take legal action. And the sooner you report, the better. Um, destruction of property. A lot of times people don't think of that as abusive, but it's letting you know, I don't respect you or your things. Um, it's letting you know, I, I can hurt things when I'm angry. Um, so it's definitely another form of threats. So if somebody breaks your cell phone, if somebody throws something, you know, in your dorm room, they break your things, um, they rip your clothes, they, you know, whatever it is, a book, any, anything that they break that's yours, that's definitely a big warning sign. Um, and animal cruelty, there's actually been um, more of a movement to align the animal abuse and domestic violence, dating violence, all those kind of movements together. Because if they're cruel to animals, that's once again a huge sign. If they would kick a dog, they probably would kick you. Okay. Um, the thing that's important to recognize is that it occurs between all racial, economic, educational, and religious backgrounds. It occurs in heterosexual and same-sex relationships, between married and unmarried partners, between current and former partners, and between household members. Um, it affects every community across the country, regardless of their ethnic group, culture, or background. People of all ages, income levels, faith, sexual orientation, gender, and education levels experience dating violence. The thing that's important um, about that is, I think, once again, the media makes it look like it's only a certain group of people, and that's just not true. It happens to everyone. Um, you know, we think the people who have money aren't vulnerable. That's not true. We might not see them as much in the same seeking the same services because maybe they have other means um, to make changes. But we actually know that people who have very little money and people who have a lot of money um, are the ones that have a little bit statistically more violence in their relationships. Um, and definitely it happens every community, every race. Um, Dating violence isolates the person being abused and can suppress inner strength, feelings of self-worth, and the ability to make personal choices. Often people experiencing abuse begin to feel responsible for the abuse. That's really important too, once again, whether it's you or a friend. Um, part of the system of abuse is to make you believe it's your fault. You'll often hear things, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have had to. Um, and, and if a friend feels that way, you telling her what to do if it's different than what she feels that she can do at the moment, it's just going to reinforce that for her, that she's not good at making her own decisions, that things must be her fault. So when you get frustrated with the friend and say, why can't you just leave? You know, why won't you just leave? It just kind of reinforces. It actually kind of helps the abuser to do his job and to keep her controlled. Okay? And I know it's really difficult. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things if it's someone that you love and you want to help them to get out of that situation. Um, but the really and truly the best thing that you can do is just to keep the lines of communication open and to be supportive, even though that's really, really, really hard. It's probably one of the hardest things that people can do. Um, but it's really the only way that you can help. Because you acting like you know what's best for her instead of letting her know she knows what's best for her is just reinforcing what the abuser is already doing. Um, dating violence is not a private matter, a personal problem, a squabble, or a fight. It's not a momentary loss of temper. <laughs> Um, and that's really important to recognize because a lot of times, once again, the media just, what, what we see is somebody who's out of control. They've lost control. Um, it's just not true. If, if, there's, if you're in a dorm room, if you're in an apartment and there's a fight going on between a couple and the police come knock at the door, instantly the abuser will go to the door and say, I'm sorry, officer, was there a problem? Were we getting loud? 
Um, so they can flip that switch. They're in control. They're completely in control of what's going on. Because if they were so out of control, then when the police became involved, they would still be acting that way, but they don't. Um, it's only when they think that they won't get in trouble. Um, the same thing with sexual abuse. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, they got caught up in the moment, or, you know, men can't control themselves, or, you know, we hear all these kind of fallacies. Why don't they do that in front of their teacher? Why don't they do that in front of the police? Um, it's a choice to do it behind closed doors when they think they can get away with it. And one of the most important things we can do for victims is to acknowledge that it's a choice. It's a choice that the abusers chose to use violence. Exposure to violence can traumatize people and destroy their ability to feel safe in the world and cause them to feel responsible for the abuse. Physical and sexual violence against an intimate partner is a crime, and perpetrators can be arrested and prosecuted. And that's really important, um, because once again, a lot of times people think it's personal, it's private, I don't want to get involved. It's not private, it's actually against the law. Um, were there any questions at this point before I move on to the next? No? Okay. Um, one of the ways to help someone recognize if they're in a dating violence um, relationship is it tends to look cyclical. Now, once again, every relationship is different, so it might not look exactly like this, but it looks often some, something like this. And it's um, a tension-building phase, and this chart kind of has a lot of information on it, <laughs> but on the outside, it talks about where the victim is at in that cycle, and on the inside, it talks about where the abuser is at in the cycle. Um, so the abuser is kind of nitpicking, yelling, um, withholding affection, putting, them, putting the person down, threatening, using crazy-making behavior. Um, what that is is making, just telling people things that are just not true and acting like it's a fact. Um, it can be small things. Like I said, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have had to, right? Like that's kind of one version of it. Sometimes it's literally, I didn't hit you that hard. You didn't, you know, sometimes I, I have had a client who walked in and their partner cheating. And, we're, and they were telling them that never happened. So sometimes it's that extreme. Um, you know, but definitely trying to bend the truth and kind of make the abuser's reality, make the victim believe what they are saying is reality. Um, destroying property, accusations of unfaithfulness, um, that's a big one. Oftentimes, um, you know, once again with the warning signs, um, if they're super jealous of friends, if you're gone, say you're running to the store, they have in their mind you should be back in 15 minutes and it takes you 30, and they start saying, well, what were you doing? Out sleeping with someone? That's a big sign. Um, that's not, you know, it, it's like their own skewed reality. That's not reality at all. Um, that they isolate her and that they um, try to pick fights with her or him. It could be him or her. A lot of times we refer to it as her because since it is about power and control and in general in society, women have less power. Um, that's why we tend to refer to victims as her, but it really could, it could be either. Um, so during this phase, the victim is thinking that she can change things. Um, she tries to calm him down. She tries to reason with him or her. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> so during that period of time, she's still thinking, or the victim is still thinking, that they can gain some control over the situation, usually as things are building. They can feel it building, but they think, if I can just, you know, keep the house clean enough, if I just look cute enough for our date, if I just make, you know, their parents like me, um, they think that there's still something within their control that they can do to change what's about to happen, even though they can kind of feel it, feel it building. 
Um, and they might try to make them happy. They might cook for them. They might give them lots of attention. They might indulge all those phone calls. They might be constantly available because they think, you know, well, I know something's, you know, off. They're, they're clearly very anxious. I'm, I'm going to try to just be there for them because maybe that will fix it. Um, it. You know, it might be making them food. It might be sex. It might be, you know, all these kind of things to just try to make their partner happy. Um, but the reality is when the abuser is looking to abuse, none of those things are going to work. Um, one of the other fallacies is kind of that abusers drink alcohol or use drugs, and that's why they abuse. We know that that's not true. Statistically, that's not true. Um, even when a person gets clean, they don't stop abusing. Okay? And if a person is not an abuser, just because they had a drink or use drugs, just because they, you know, whatever it is, use coke, smoke pot, use whatever kind of drugs, they're not going to hurt someone if that's not who they are. Um, so, but oftentimes during this phase, the abuser might use those things to use as an excuse. So then there's the explosion, which usually is a violent incident. Sometimes it's name-calling. Um, and, and there's usually, it's kind of a continuum. It usually starts off smaller. It usually kind of starts off as maybe they threaten you. They get in your face and threaten you. Um, maybe it's name-calling. Maybe it's a push. Then it's a slap. Um, it's kind of a continuum. And usually, in the beginning, there are long periods of time in between these incidents. There's a long time between them. And usually, the worse that the abuse gets, the more that the next cycle, which some people call the honeymoon phase, um, I like to call it the recapture phase, because I think it's more honest. And I think that it's important to think about um, what is he really trying to do. Um, I've heard it called hearts and flowers. I've heard it called the ooh, baby, baby phase. Um, but it's definitely when the abuser will just do anything to get that person to come back. Because once again, you and I are me. You and I are one and we're me. So when you're gone, it's like it starts to build up with them. They've lost control. They've lost control of the situation. Um, and they want to get that control back. So they'll just say anything to get that control back. Um, but really what it is is kind of like the breadcrumbs. You know, it's the recapture. It's what, what do I need to do to get you back under my control? And usually the worse that the abuse was, the grander the gestures will be. Um, there was even an episode on Oprah a few years ago. And Oprah does lots of good things, not to say anything bad about Oprah. <laughs> but when people don't know about domestic, domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, they just don't get it. And she had a marriage expert. This guy has several PhDs. Um, and he was talking about, um, he was with a couple. And the man and the woman, they were trying to talk the woman into taking him back. And he's saying for how for seven years he was trying to stop abusing her. And he, he was like, after the first year I got arrested and I went to this, you know, abuser's program. And after the second year, you know, I went to couples counseling. And he's talking about all these gestures. And for those of us who understand the cycle, we could see the grander gestures. And he's like, and now I'm on Oprah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, now you're on Oprah. You broke her cheekbone. Um, so... You know, it's just kind of important to recognize it for what it is. It's not necessarily that they love you so much and they can't live without you. It's they have lost control, and they, they are having a hard time dealing with that because everything is about power and control for them. And so they will do grand gestures to try to make up for the things they've done. It's not that they genuinely feel sorry because they'll do it again. Real remorse, you see change. Um, so in that phase, the abuser will apologize, make promises, try to justify the behavior, blame drugs and alcohol, declare their love, um, want to be intimate, buy gifts, promise to get help, promise to go to church, enlist family support, cries, threaten suicide. Um, the thing that's important to know about the suicide factor, if a person really is suicidal and they're an abuser, 
if they really are in the position where they would kill themselves, they would kill you too. Um, we see that in the news all the time. Um, even lately, especially with men losing their jobs, we see that they killed their family. And you're like, and everyone's like, how did that happen? He was such a nice guy. Well, he thinks that his wife and his children are just an extension of himself. So if he thinks, I can't support you, we can't survive anymore. Like, clearly, because you're just a part of me. So that's kind of the trend that we're seeing in the news with it now. But certainly, if someone has lost respect for life, their own life, and they're abusive, and they feel like you're an extension of them, they will not have respect for your life either. Um, the other side of that is, they might just say that to try to manipulate you. It's a big manipulation. You want to talk about the all or nothing um, kind of mentality that they're in. That's all of it. So they feel like, you know, that's kind of the extreme. So either way, it's probably not safe for you to go be, like if they're calling you saying, if you don't come here, I'm going to kill myself. It's probably not safe. If they really are going to kill themselves, they need help. And if it's a manipulation, you don't want to go running into that situation. Um, you can always call the local police department and ask them to do a wellness check. You know, they can go check on that person. And that way you won't have to feel, not that you would be responsible, but that way if you feel like you can't do nothing, call the local police department. They'll go and do a wellness check. And if they feel that they really are suicidal, they'll check them in. Um, and, you know, that's what victims want to help. Um, I think that's another fallacy that we see in the media. We see kind of these battered women crying in a corner, right? Like that's what it looks like. Um, a lot of times these women are actually really, really strong, <laughs> and they're really good at keeping things safe. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I tell my clients is when you go look for a job, you look for a job that you have skills that match that job. <laughs> Sometimes when you're looking for a relationship, you find a relationship where your skills match that person. So if you're really good at keeping things safe and kind of helping people, um, you might end up in relationships with someone who needs a lot of help and needs you to keep things safe. It doesn't mean that that's the relationship that you deserve. It just, that might be, you know, sometimes people are like, why do I end up in this situation? It might actually be because you're really, really strong and good at kind of holding things together. Um, so it's, it's just something to, to be aware of because I think that the media really portrays um, these women in a very false light. Um, so, and oftentimes they think that they're helping. So they'll try to set up counseling. They'll drop the charges because they don't want, oh, I don't want to ruin his life. So they'll drop the charges because they think then he won't be able to get a job. Um, they'll agree to return. They'll take them back. They forgive. They're hopeful. Um, and they want to believe what he's saying. Of course they do. Um, usually the first time that somebody abuses their partner, usually, there is some kind of hook. So it's, They've just met the family. Um, they've just gotten, you've just gotten pregnant. Um, you've just moved in together. You've just hit some milestone anniversary. You've just met all their friends. Like, there's usually something um, that they know will make it harder for you to leave. Like I said, they're not going to walk up on the first date and slap you in the face because everybody would turn around and run. Everyone. Um, they wait until there's some kind of hook that they have in you. Um, so it's just kind of... Be careful about when you get to know someone, yes, you want to share about yourself and you want to learn about them, but be careful what you tell them about ways that people have hurt you because abusers will really listen to that and they use it as a map of how to abuse you. So if they know you have kind of a rough relationship with your parents and then you just introduced your parents to this wonderful guy and isn't this great? See, I did good. <laughs> I did good. It's, I'm, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a failure like you thought I would be. I'm dating this guy and he's, you know, these are, this is why he looks good on paper. Um, and then you go home and he beats you up because he's like, see, your parents are right. Like, you're stupid or that's, that's what they use. They, they find the ways to hurt you and they use them against you. Um, so it's just something to be aware of. It's not you. It's that this person is really trying to hurt and manipulate you. 
Are there any questions about the cycle or before I move on? No? Okay. Um, the next thing is just to go through some myths and facts. Um, people think that dating violence and abuse are uncommon. They think that it doesn't happen that often. Everyone in this room knows someone who's being abused. Um, it's, it's something that people unfortunately feel a lot of shame and there's a lot of secrecy um, around it. But it happens, we know one in three women in their lifetime um, and one in six men, although I, I predict that it's probably more, but that's what we know, that's who reports it, have been you know, abused in some way in their life. Um, and in this country, a man beats up a woman every 12 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Not every man. <laughs> Just a man somewhere in the country. It's not, it's not about if you like someone or not. It's about control. It's a way for them to feel control. Usually these men actually are really insecure. Yeah, absolutely. They should try to control themselves. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really is about power and control. And these guys... Sure. Well, there is a really big, actually, movement kind of going on, the new part of this movement. Domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, um, all these things are kind of new to, um, like, the social service world. You know, things like mental health have been looked at for a really long time. Things like addictions have been looked at for a really long time. Um, these, these things have only been recognized as illegal, um, and there's only really been a movement behind them for about 30 or 40 years. So re it's relatively new in a lot of ways. You don't think there's a life after? A life after? About, yeah, that people don't think about consequences in other ways later, sure. Um, but like you were saying, that men should kind of step up, um, that's kind of the newer part of this movement, actually, is that men standing up against violence. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that we're kind of seeing, um, for sure in Illinois, um, it's one of the things we're working on at our agency is starting a men against violence group because the reality, statistically, we know a lot of the perpetrators are men. And so part of the solution is at some point going to have to be men getting involved for sure. Um, and to stand up and say like, this isn't right. And that men need to make other choices and control themselves for sure. Um, the other myth is that victims stay in, a re in the relationship because they like abuse. Um, victims stay for many reasons. Um, sometimes they're safety, which sounds weird, right? It doesn't sound logical. Um, but sometimes it's safer to know where that person is. If you're being stalked, if they've threatened your friends and family, um, it takes time to make a plan. And so sometimes it's not always safest to just leave. Um, so that's something really to be aware of. If you have a friend who's going through this and you're just like, geez, why won't you just go? Um, it's not always safest to just go. Um, that's actually the time when a woman can experience the most violence or die. That's when she's the most likely to be hurt, actually, when she leaves. Because abuse is all about power and control. So once she's left, he's lost control. So that's when he will do anything to take it back, including taking her life. Um, people think that violence in this country happens mostly between strangers. The reality is that a woman's greatest risk of assault is from um, an intimate partner. The place where a woman is most likely to be hurt is in her home. Um, people think partner abuse is not a large problem in this country. Dating violence is one of the most serious health problems in the United States. It affects, you know, many, many people. One of the things that we do is go out and train hospitals um, and nursing associations and clinics how to recognize it um, because they're, they're just finding that the, the economic impact is staggering. How many people miss work? How many people get medical treatment? 
um, which, which leads us into the next thing, that dating violence is not costly. Um, it really is. Um, the United States has found that $4 billion every year um, is the cost in lower productivity, staff turnover, absenteeism, and use of medical benefits, which is one of the things that we say to employers, just why should they get involved? Because <laughs> a lot of times our employers are like, why should we care? Why should we let you come talk to us? Why do we want to make new policies? Because it actually costs them a lot of money. Um, people think abusers won't harm their own children. We know that that's not true. Studies show that 50 to 70% of men who abuse their partners also abuse their children. People think the victims provoke their abusers to be abusive. The fact is that someone who abuses another person makes that choice instead of choosing a nonviolent alternative. Um, and one of the things that I tell the clients is if you had that much power to make him act a certain way, don't you think you would choose to make him act nice? <laughs> I don't think you'd choose to have someone hurting you. Um, Another myth is that alcohol makes men abusive. Um, we know that that's not true. Like I said, statistically, even when people get clean um, or sober, they don't stop abusing. Um, and it can, it can make, a, make a, 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 an incident more violent. Um, it can. We, there is an increase in violence in the level of violence, in the degree that someone is injured, um, but not an increase in, in violent incidents. Um, people think that people who abuse are mentally ill. That's not true. Um, dating violence is a learned behavior and not a mental illness. Once again, this goes back to that kind of thought that people are out of control. It's not about a loss of control. It's about being in control. And it's usually something that they learned at home growing up. People are out of control when they engage in abuse. We know that that's not true. They, they choose who, they choose when, they choose how. Um, and then the last one on here is that abusers are mean all the time and be really easy to spot. Um, that's not true. Abusers are actually really invested in looking good. Um, once again, it's all about control. So they want people to think that they're good. So oftentimes, people will tell their friends, and their friends are like, I just can't believe that. You know, they seem so nice. When she came over, she never gave any indication that she was, like, going to act like that. Um, I, I just can't believe you that she would burn your clothes. Or, you know, I can't believe that he, you know, hit you with an object or threatened you with a weapon. Um, they're really good at that. Uh, one time I was in line at a store behind a former client and her abuser that she had reconciled with, and the cash register had broken down, and he made a big production of, everybody stay calm, the people here are just trying to do their job. Um, made a big thing, these two you know, older women behind me were like, oh, I wish my granddaughter would find somebody like that. He like, you know, tips the cashier, like, he, it was like very you know, elaborate of like, look what a great guy I am. Um, but I know what he had done behind closed doors, and it was horrible. I mean, he had hurt this woman and her children in every way possible. So, um, you know, beware of that face that they put on, because actually the more that they are like, look at me, I'm so good, I'm so good, they actually, when they say, you know, when they say something's too good to be true, this is one of those situations to definitely look out for. If they're just like constantly trying to be like, making your family think that they're great or making your friends think that they're so wonderful and they're just so invested in looking good all the time, um, beware of the other side of that. Um, and the next section is about leaving. Um, like I said, we talked about that a little bit more. Um, leaving is a process. It's not an event. People think just leave. That's it. Just walk out the door and leave. Um, then it'll be over. But it's, that's not how it works at all. Um, first of all, because most of these guys aren't going to just let go. <laughs> we know that it's about control. So when she leaves and he's lost control, they're not just going to be like, oh, okay. That's not going to happen. So she usually needs to plan. 
um, in order for her to be safe when she leaves. And um, when, when she leaves, it's the most dangerous time for her, when she actually, her and her children and the people that she loves are the most likely to get hurt. If she goes to a friend's house, I've had many, many clients where they stayed at a friend's and then they went outside and the windows, you know, were smashed in and their tires were slashed. Um, or they called their phone a million times. Or they called DCFS and their family member and say, you know, say we're worried about how this person treats their children. Um, they, they're very, they, they will retaliate. Um, they feel like it's an attack because they have lost control. And they think we feel the same way. We're one person. So now that you're trying to be something different or feel different, it feels like an attack to them and they definitely lash out. Um, so it's not always the safest. Women really, women and men, if they're in that situation, really need to plan. Um, when deciding to leave, safety should always be the primary consideration. Um, one of the things that we tell people that they're often surprised to hear when people come in for counseling at the domestic violence shelter or they live in the shelter um, or they're getting therapy, our solution isn't we think you should leave. That's not the plan. Our plan is how can we help you to be the safest you can be in whatever situation you're choosing to be in. So if they're there, it's, What's the plan if it gets violent? How can you be the most safe in your house? How can you leave your house? Do you have an emergency bag somewhere else? Um, who can you call? Is there somebody close? Can you call the police? You know, are, are, the, are the police responsive in your neighborhood? Because sometimes police aren't. So it's what is the plan for you to be the most safe? Um, because once again, if we think that we know what's better for her and we say, you should leave and this is what you should do, we're just reinforcing what he's been telling her, that she doesn't know what's best for her. Um, and we really find that women do know what's best. They survived this long in this really hard relationship. Most of them survived as children. You know, it's, it's kind of a learned behavior for victims, too. Um, so most women who end up in these situations as adults, you know, live through abuse as children or witness abuse as children. So they know. They know how to stay safe. Um, so we just kind of keep talking with them about that and make their plan. Um, one of my clients calls it her blueprint. <laughs> She's, you know, working on it now. And she says, I have my blueprint. I just can't let him know. I've got to keep my poker face on, but I've got my blueprint. So it might be hiding money. Because the reality is, when women get a divorce, 40% of women who were not previously below the poverty level are after a divorce. So it's, it's not like just leave and then what? Where do you live? How do you support yourself? You know, if you have children. Um, if it's going on at school and you still have to see this person, how do you manage that? Um, so it's, it's really important if you or someone you know needs help to talk to people who can help you to make a safety plan. Um, if you contact people who are advocates, they're not just going to say, hey, you need to just leave. It's just that easy because we know that it's not. Um, so the plan really is always how can you be the safest in the situation that you're in. Um, are there other, do people have questions? No? <laughs> it's a little scary because a lot of the things that you're talking about, it sounds like a typical high school relationship. You know, the, the first love and stuff, and you know, the sure. boyfriend and everything, you know, and it, it sounds, you know, maybe it's true a little bit. And, you know, as hard as it is to say, even me with my first girlfriend, I was really, you know, that waiter's looking at you. You look at the waiter, you know, real jealous. But as you get older, yeah, there, there certainly is a level of immaturity to it, for sure. One of the, 
theories that I've heard out of many, um, you know, we, in the field we do a lot of continuing education. And one of the kind of newer theories that I've heard that's interesting is that other people do grow out of it, but that abusers are kind of stuck almost in like the 18 to 24 month old phase. Because um, that's really like the most violent stage of life. Like if you think about when kids are just kind of angry and they're hitting all the time, um, and that other people do learn other ways to cope and get their needs met, but that maybe these people didn't mature and develop. No, I didn't. That could be. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we talked about, kind of the extremes of how it looks like all or nothing. Um, one of the other things that we see a lot with domestic violence and dating violence um, is kind of triangles. And so it looks like the abuser. We're real familiar with that role. Um, there's a victim. And there's kind of a savior role. That's the other one that we don't talk about a lot. Um, and once someone has been in any of those roles, it's real easy to kind of shift around into the others. Um, and an abuser can look like all three in like a five-minute conversation. So it might be that some guy was like came up at the bar and was like hitting on her and touching her in a way she didn't want. Um, and so he comes over and he's like, you know, get out of here. I'm going to beat you up. And he pushes the guy and he's like, you know, see, I came over here and saved you. Like I took care of you. I got rid of that guy. Um, but then he will say, if you hadn't been looking at him, if you hadn't worn that skirt, um, you know, then I wouldn't have had to do that. You made me act this way. So even within that really short conversation, he's kind of slid into all those things. He's the victim. You did this to me. You made me act this way. Um, he's been the abuser because he's been really aggressive towards this guy. And then to her, saying, if you hadn't worn this, like, it's your fault. But then he acts like he's the savior, too. Like, he thinks that I'm so great I came over here and helped you. Um, so one of the things that we teach when we talk about healthy relationships and healthy relationship roles is kind of getting out of that triangle. Um, and it's another thing that in the media, we just see everywhere. I mean, you were saying that that reminds you of high school relationships. It reminds me of almost every movie I ever see, <laughs> any romantic comedy. Um, you know, there's usually some kind of lie. There's usually or some kind of, you know, something going on that's, you know, the factor. And then he has to be, like, the good guy and overcome that. It usually happens really, really fast that people fall in love and they're all enmeshed. And, like, life can only be good with a partner. Um, so our society really kind of reinforces a lot of these dynamics and makes us think that's what we should aspire to. Like, not that that's wrong, but that that's actually romance, right? Like, for somebody to be so in love with you that they, you know, need to be around you all the time. Um, I think that we're actually taught that that's what we should um, aim for instead of being taught that actually can be dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, with with the tough guy attitude, sometimes even violence, right? Like he'll he will jump in and physically protect her in some way, or he gets in a fight with a guy and he's like the tough guy. Like that's what we should aspire to. Um, well, or often there are lies, right? Like almost all of those movies, those romantic comedies, that's like the twist, right? There's some big lie that he's trying to cover up, so he's a big liar, but he's really a good guy underneath. Mm 
like you were saying, right? Like, if I just love him enough or love him in the right way, then I can bring out the good stuff in him. I'm going to change him. I think that we're, as women, we're taught that kind of over and over, that if we just do our duties as wife, as mother, as partner, as friend, um, then we can, you know, somehow create a different outcome. Yeah, I think that's definitely reinforced. Yeah, one of the behaviors I've seen is the cell phone checking. So when you're in a relationship and your partner is checking your cell phone when you go to the bathroom and, and checking your Facebook page, and, I mean, that is always, pardon me? That's your whole privacy. I understand it, but people don't respect that. And that's right. a sign that... You have to respect that. But the problem is a lot of people don't. Right. And see, I don't care. As long as she's in my lap at the end of the night, I don't care what she does. That's great. That's great. That's Yeah, there are a lot of young women and young men, and I think especially with technology being what it is, people think that you should be instantly available all of the time. Um, and, and even like a very short period of time ago, what, like 10 years ago even, it wasn't that way. But now it's like you should always be available to me. Um, and we're seeing that more We're seeing that more with women even, with young women, um, that they that's a way for them to kind of be aggressive. That's permittable. Um, and even that's another kind of trend in the movies is like for women to have power they have to be violent um, you know we see that even in like Harry Potter <laughs> you know when she punched the bully in the face um, we see that in um, like a lot of children's movies there's like you know these I mean even things like the Powerpuff Girls <laughs> they go and fight right they have to fight to have power um, and that's something that we need to kind of be aware of too is women are working towards what we, what a feminist want is equality. A lot of times people think it's like women think they're better than men, but really feminism just means the theory that men and women are equal. Um, and as we work towards that, does that mean for us to have power that we have to act like men? Um, it's something else to really kind of be aware of and examine, because that's going on in the media all the time. We see women being increasingly violent or tough, and um, that's kind of how women are seen as having power. And so it's like, is that, do we need to adopt violence? Is that the only way for women to be powerful? Um, it's something else to definitely be aware of. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody have any other questions or no? Okay. Um, there is an information table on the back, um, and there's information about how to get services. Um, there are crisis lines that you can call anonymously. So if you just want to talk to somebody, even to get some information, feel free to call. There's a page back there that says how to help your friend. It has a bunch of websites um, that you can kind of hit up and get some information um, about how to help out a friend who's going through this situation. Um, you know, there's information about our services at Pillars, and um, there's even a, there's a stalking log and a stalking safety plan, and some information about stalking, and then some brochures about dating violence. So please help yourself. Come ask us questions if you have any. We'll be around for a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.